God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Lincoln. Here's Pastor Austin Edwards. When you come into a room of strangers, how do you introduce yourself? What things do you choose to mention when the people you're talking to don't know who you are? When they don't know what you've done or what you currently do or what you can do, what do you want people to know about you? And we think about this a lot, believe it or not, even if it's subconscious. Like we subtly drop in the impressive realities about uh, our life, people we're friends with, uh, information we know, adventures we've experienced, countries we've traveled to, positions we've held, experiences we've had, um, the neighborhood we live in, the impact we're making, the car we drive. And also, just to be clear, this is pervasive in Christian culture as well. We love people to notice our spiritual prowess, right? uh, We love flexing the mission trips we've went on and the roles we play in church and the groups we've led and the verses we've memorized and and the books we've read and the the podcasts we listen to, like the things we do for God. We don't want anyone to think that we're just sitting in the back row, like lukewarm. We want them to know, like, we know stuff about God and we do stuff for God. And so it comes out when we introduce ourselves and talk about what uh, what's true about us. And, and I originally planned on preaching uh, the first 12 verses of James. That was the schedule, taking 12 weeks, preaching the first 12, uh, for the, the whole book of James, so preaching the first 12 verses uh, about suffering and, and, and God using that. And I read James 1.1 and I just was like stopped at it. I just, I, it's like almost like I couldn't move past it. And I really felt like it would be disobedient for me to preach anything other than this singular verse, which is just a simple greeting, you know? But I was so shocked I was so shocked at this verse because in, in a culture that is soaked with job titles, in a culture that's soaked with social media presence and, and tireless impressing, James 1.1 is so completely foreign to us. Like, it's just so different than how we talk about ourselves. And so James is five chapters long. James has 108 verses in it. And check this out. Of those 108 verses, 59 commands. 59 imperatives for us. It's the most practical book in the Bible. And I love that we're studying this right after we spent eight or 10 weeks in Romans chapter eight, because we got all the doctrine of the glory of Jesus and the gospel, and we can never slip from his grip and no condemnation, all that. And James is kind of going, that's awesome. As we turn that page, that's great. The gospel isn't just for your heart. It's not just for your head. It's for your hands and it's for your will that real faith moves you. It doesn't just look at the car in the garage and polish it. Real faith goes, get in that, roll the windows down and take it on the interstate. Like, like faith moves us and produces fruit. And so we're calling this series, The Fruit of Faith, that by God's grace, not perfectly, but progressively, this Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. And James is explaining uh, those. So we're going to look at 13 fruits. So uh, among the list, perseverance, fighting temptation, application, impartiality, works, words, wisdom, repentance, submission, generosity, patience, prayer. And today we're going to look at the first fruit of faith from James 1.1, which is humility. Humility is a fruit of faith. And so we're going to focus on the way that we introduce ourselves and the way we define ourselves. So we're going to look at two things. Uh, to understand this verse. One is what James could have said about himself. What could this greeting have been like? Number two, we'll look at then how he, what, he, what he chose to say about himself. So first, what he chose to say about himself, you guys can look, James 1.1, 1, 1, 
Again, I'm a little bit insecure because we're not like this whole passage. We're like, keep looking back, but just this one verse, keep looking at that because that's what, that's what matters. But this first verse, James 1.1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll point out two things to this point of what James could have said about himself. Number one is that he doesn't exploit his connections. James doesn't exploit his connections. So James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. a servant of God? That's it? I mean, there are so many ways you could have identified yourself, James. Like, and, and I love that you say servant of God. That's awesome. Like, that's great. But, but you also could have said maybe like, and Jesus' brother. Like, maybe that would have been like a good idea to tag on to this whole thing. Like, see, in Matthew 13, introduces that uh, Jesus' siblings. And one of the siblings is named James. So J- Jesus actually had two James' disciples. These, this is not those James. This is a different one. This is Jesus' brother. And in Matthew 13, we figure out he's got brothers, got sisters, and he's got a brother named James. Um, and then in John chapter 5, or John chapter 7, verse 5, we actually find out that none of his brothers believed that Jesus was God. So his brothers, amidst of thousands of people, you know, coming to follow him, his brothers went, I just don't know if he's actually the Messiah, the chosen one. But then in Acts 1, verse 14, it says that the disciples were praying together, and guess who's there? His brothers. So somewhere along the way, they didn't believe, but somewhere along the way, they chose to believe that Jesus really was God. And I think that was in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, when Jesus appeared to his brother James, specifically says that after resurrecting from the grave. And James is like, okay, you win, big bro. Like, you're, you're God, you know? You just defeated death, and so I'm going to believe in you. Um, so I want you to think about this for a second. So James, Jesus' brother, is the one writing this book. I want you to think about this for a second. How much does that affect the way you look at these words. There are people in the room that didn't know that. This is fresh information to you that this book is written by Jesus's half-brother, James, because the Holy Spirit conceived. So, you know, Joseph was kind of like a stepdad. But Joseph and Mary, that's James's parents, you know. Um, How much does that affect the way you look at this? And even if you knew, just a fresh way, like how beautiful is it to read a book written by Jesus' brother? No other book in the Bible has this type of perspective on Jesus. Think about all the meals they shared together, all the you know, times around the table where Jesus is like, mom, do I have to eat the broccoli? Mary's like, yes, Jesus, like you kind of got to get strong because you're going to die for the world someday. You know, like you got to, you know, eat your broccoli. Like, you know, think about all the times like he, James got to see his older brother cry and get hurt. You know, he got to see his older brother uh, protect his mom and, 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 and laugh and, and experience and play. And like James has that view of Jesus that no one else has that we have authoring the Bible. And so it changes it, right? Like knowing that it was written by Jesus' brother makes you look at it differently. It gives more validity. And yet James decides not to mention in this greeting that he's Jesus' brother. Why? Humility. He's not trying to promote himself or leverage his connections or exploit them. Oh, and by the way, just in case we weren't clear, that means that James isn't just Jesus's brother, but that he's Mother Mary's son. Like like the same Mary that God chose to be the mom of the Son of God. Like he was also, she was also James's mom. So James got the same songs sung to him at night before bed, the same discipline as a mom that Jesus did. Like this is bizarre. Her humility, her heart towards God, her faith. James chooses to also not mention that he's her son too. Oh, and just on familiar wise, John the Baptist. 
You know, the great preacher of repentance is his cousin. So they grew up, you know, going to barbecues and, you know, uh, you know water balloon fights and trading Pokemon cards, you know, like cousin stuff. Like they did all that together, like John the Baptist and, uh, and James. And so he didn't mention that either. And not only does he not mention his familial relationships, but he also doesn't mention his relational endorsements. So in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul, the writer of the majority of the New Testament, calls our boy James a pillar, a pillar, and basically says that he's, that James is the one who told him to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so I'm just going to tell you this. If Paul said, I'm a pillar, I'm going to put that in my Instagram bio. I'm going to drop that into a sermon once a month. Like it's just going to happen, okay? And James doesn't mention that either. So he just says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, He didn't say, I'm Jesus' brother, sharing the same DNA as the literal God of the universe. You know, that's kind of a big deal. He doesn't say, I'm Mary's son, raised by the chosen mother. He doesn't say, I'm John the Baptist's cousin, hearing his sermons before anyone else said. He doesn't say, I'm James, a pillar, according to the Apostle Paul, right over the majority of the Testament. He just says, a servant. James, you can't think of anything better than that? Anything more interesting? That's, That's the point. James refuses to leverage his connections, and he chooses humility. So uh, uh, in a moment of confession, being real, there are some significantly prominent people in our, in our church. And, and James talks about this, so I'm convicted of it, and I'll get to preach this. But there are well-known athletes. There are elected officials. There are nationwide influencers. There are CEOs. There's millionaires. There's large business owners. And sometimes in my sin, I can start to identify myself with who comes to our church. Like, like uh, um, that's how sinful and like wicked my heart is. I, I want other pastor, my other pastor friends to know, like, I've got really significant people in my church. When people are verified on Instagram, you know, with the little blue tick or whatever, and they comment on a post that I make, I'm hoping that other people scrolling through the feed see that, oh, that person has something to say about Austin's life. Or like I had posted on Facebook and a really well-known pastor in Texas had somehow found it and liked it. And I screenshotted it and sent it to another friend to be like, hey, isn't this crazy? Like that's how wicked and superficial and prideful I am. And that's how guilty I am of the very thing that James is speaking against. And so what about you? Like, does this, does this flesh out in your life as well? Maybe, maybe even mentorship. Like Bob Walls uh, has been a mentor of mine for a decade. He's an elder in our church. And, and sometimes I can identify myself with Bob's discipleship. Almost like, hey, since Bob's a legend, I'm a legend. Like he's, he rubbed off on me somehow, right? And it's the same for a lot of people who have invested in me. I want people to know that I'm poured into, who I'm poured into, um, to validate me, like basically to make sure people know I'm influenced by influential people. And so again, how does this play out in your life? Are you guilty of this too? Are you at fault for exploiting your connections for your own validation and increased public respect? Do you make sure to mention you know important people? Do you slip that in the conversation? Do you tell that story again and again? Do you share that picture of you and that person on social media or on your desk so that other people can see and realize, wow, this person must be awesome? Listen, we love to let people know that we know people, right? And so just to give some examples, if you've got kids that are a little bit older, maybe, maybe I'm sorry, uh, if, yeah, if you've got kids that are a little bit older, maybe, maybe it's your kids. Maybe this is the connections that you exploit where it, they're, um, they're accomplishments, maybe in sports, 
or in academia or their ACT score or the college they got into. Maybe it's, you know, that their family that they have is flourishing and you're a grandparent now and look how cute this. Maybe their career is great or their spiritual progress or if you've got little kiddos like me, maybe it's just their cuteness and you just want them to know like, I've got really cute kids, you know, or, or it's their intelligence or development of like, hey, just so you know, like my kids are, are advanced, you know what I mean? Like, and so you want people to know you're great because your kids are great. Or maybe if you're younger, it's your parents. This is the you know connection. Well, my dad was an influential lawyer, or or my, my mom was a doctor, or or whatever it is. Or you have some sense where you kind of attach yourself to your parents' success. Maybe it's your friends. Like they've gone off and done really big things, and you're like, yeah, but we shared a dorm room together, and I was with them before they had all that. Or maybe it's the company you work for and the awesome culture that it has. Or maybe it's a ministry you were a part of and the leader that was leading it. James has way more connections than all of us combined that are way more impressive that he could have exploited, but he chooses humility and calls himself a servant of God. He chooses not to exploit his connections. But I also want you to know, not only does he not do that, but he also doesn't explain his accolades. He also doesn't secondarily explain his accolades. So I just want you to know, I I overuse the word legend, okay? A lot of things are legendary to me, but if God was like, you can only use it twice. I'd be like, okay, Jesus is a legend and James is a junior legend. Okay, like we'll just call it that. But I want you to know James is a legend. Not only did he have a massive list of connections, but he's got a long list of accolades that he could have talked about. And so, and again, he just says, what? I'm James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the early church began in Jerusalem. That's where it all started. And in Acts chapter two, thousands of people come to know Jesus and the church is born. And they're, they're loving each other. They're sharing what they have. Uh, they're learning every day. They're gathering together. They're breaking bread. They're sharing the gospel and the church is growing like crazy until Acts chapter eight happens. Persecution struck the church and everyone scatters. They like scatter out into all these different places, which this is, that's who James is addressing this letter to. He says at the end of verse one, to the 12 tribes in in the dispersion. So the believers originally in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians were now, because of persecution, pushed out as refugees in all these foreign lands, which is great news for the gospel because that's what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8, but they waited until persecution came and then they spread out and now they're sharing the gospel, but it's hard. So that's most likely who James is addressing this letter to, people that are in a foreign culture as believers trying to fight against the culture and fight for holiness and the gospel. And so, um, so that's what happens. But in Acts chapter 12, Paul get, or, uh, Peter gets out of prison, miraculously, it's a great story, and he relays a message to James, which shows that James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the big dog. He's the lead pastor. He's the one that Peter is reporting to. So that happens. Then in Acts 15, you get the Jerusalem Council, which is literally deciding on the purity of the gospel for Gentiles that are coming to know Jesus. So non-Jews coming to know Jesus, they get together and go, hey, what do we think about this? What should we implicate their lives with? And, and this is what they're fighting for, is that the gospel isn't about you following rules to keep God's approval. It's about the fact that Jesus perfectly followed the law so that by faith, you can never lose the approval of God. And that's what was fought for in this Jerusalem Council. And so everyone shares their thoughts and and in, in, in Acts 15, verse 13, after everyone shared, James goes, okay, here's the decision. He speaks his thoughts and everyone goes, okay, great, we agree with that. And the gospel was preserved. And if that doesn't happen, we're not here. Like, it's a bizarre moment. Oh, and then by the way, after that happens, um, they 
pray and Peter helps lead commissioning out the greatest missionaries of all time, Paul and his homeboy Barnabas, which is like bizarre. And then in Acts 21, we find out that even in the midst of crazy persecution, the church in Jerusalem under James's leadership, thousands of people, of Jews, had given their lives over to Jesus and were walking in obedience to him. James is leading the first megachurch. This is wild. And so if that weren't enough to convince you how awesome and legendary James is, they they nicknamed him James the Just. Like historians through the ages in like the 100, 200, 300 AD all referred to James as James the Just. He was known for his extreme obedience to God. He had this radical piety about him. Oh, and his other nickname, my personal favorite, was Camel Knees. They literally called the dude Camel Knees. Um, Hegesippus was one of the early church uh, Christian writers. And all the way back in 130 AD, this is what he said about James. He says, he was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel. I just want you to know, I'm seeing some soft knees in this room, okay? We needed some camel knees in here, right? I'm just saying like, these are Western protected knees. Like I need to change that up, right? But James is literally called camel knees. So let's take all that information and just internalize it for a second. James introduces himself how? Um, James, servant of God, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he not mention his impressive long list of connections, but he doesn't mention his uh, unbelievable accolades. He could have said, hey, I'm James, the leader of the Jerusalem megachurch, where it all started. Hey, I'm James, the head chairman of the Jerusalem council in favor of the actual true gospel. Hey, I'm James, the guy who commissioned the greatest missionaries of all time, Paul and Barnabas. Hey, I'm James, the just, known for my radical obedience. Hey, I'm James, uh, aka Camel Knees, because I pray incessantly for people's forgiveness. But dude just says, no, I'm a servant of God. If you want to know who I am, I'm, I'm a servant of God. That's sufficient. And can we just be honest with ourselves? Not only do we identify, do we love to identify ourselves with who we know, but we love to identify ourselves with what we've done, what, what we do, and, and what we can do. There was a study done years ago uh, on young adults, uh, people that were like 18 to 30, and uh, they were asking, what's the main question you're asking? Like, what's the thing that you're wondering, that you stay awake thinking about? And the primary result from that was that people, 18 to 30, the main question they're asking is, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What, what makes me matter, basically? There was another study done uh, a little bit after that, but it was a couple of years ago by Crossway, and it was on burnout. And burnout is basically uh, living in an unsustainable pace for your life and, and the result of that. And they had found out that 88% of women have experienced burnout and 76% of men. And so among women, the highest rate, uh, burnout rates were for unmarried uh, healthcare workers and stay-at-home moms. Those were the two highest burnout rates for women. The second, for men, the two highest were students and business owners and leaders. So knowing that by and large, let's take those two things together, we live in a culture obsessed with purpose. You know, what's, what's my purpose? Do I really matter? And we live in a culture that's completely burnt out and tired. We can come to the conclusion that we are so lost in our identity that we are working our fingers down to the bone to feel like we've got purpose, Right? That, and and that's, that's what we're wanting. I want to feel like I matter. I want to feel like I'm making a difference. And we've been led to this identity crisis that isn't humility. It's pride and trying to be defined by what we've done rather than what Jesus has done. And so here's a couple of things that we try to do. Uh, number one, our, we, we, what we've, we look at what we've done, right? We, we go to our resume to define who, who we are. So we look back on what we've accomplished 
And we all do it, but we make these proverbial trophies that we put up everywhere. These little medals that hang around our neck. And, and, and they're the diplomas on the wall. They're the stories we tell. They're the transformation pictures we love to show. They're the stats we explain. They're the stamps on our passport. We look back on our lives and we want people to know that we've spent them well that we've done important and impressive and cool things. Not only what we've done, but also what we do. So not only our resume, but our responsibilities. It cracks me up all the time when people explain what, what they do. Just a simple question, what do you do? Oh, well, you know, th- this, and, and, th- and I'm like, no, 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 just, there's just probably a title you have to your job. What is it, you know? But we live in a culture that's obsessed with titles. And so you'll notice this all the time, but we, we uh, live in a culture of like, um, job euphemisms. A euphemism is making something sound better than it is. And so I'm like, what do you do? Oh, I'm the head uh, associate of office health. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty impressive. So what's your week look like? Oh, well, that's a little tricky, but uh, I make coffee. Uh, I, I clean the toilet and I make sure the printer is loaded with, oh, okay. So Hmm, I didn't necessarily get that from head associate of office health, you know, but like we live in this thing where we just want people to think our job is awesome. And so we change our title to make it sound more awesome than what it really, you know, what it really is. And we do this at every single level. We just want people to think what we're doing matters and that it's impressive. Oh, and by the way, we don't, it doesn't just play out in what we say about what we do, but it also plays out in how we talk about our schedule. We, we're really afraid of someone thinking that we're, we don't do a lot. And so we wear this badge, almost all of us, uh, of like proudly that just says, I'm super busy. Like that's like, we're like, yeah, we want everyone to know like, yeah, I'm, I'm super busy. So even if you don't think what I do is impressive, at least you know that I'm doing a lot of it or that I'm working really hard at it, right? So not only what we've done, but what we do, our responsibilities. And lastly, what we can do, our, our resources, our talents, our abilities. Does it ever feel like we're, you know, adulthood is just a bigger game of fifth grade dodgeball where you're just hoping you don't get picked last. And you're just like, I want to be invited. I want to be included. I want to be sought after. I want to be chosen. And so we just kind of put forth our, our best stuff. We want people to know our talents. We want people to know that we're athletic. So we get invited to the softball team, you know, which by the way, I'm not on the City Light softball team. It's a little wound right here that I got. Um, we want people to know that we're smart. And so they invite us to the trivia night that they're doing. We want people to know that we're fun. So they invite us to the next party that they're at. We want people to know that we're, uh, you know, theologically sound so we get invited into leadership. Like all these things we just want people to know just so we don't get picked last, just so that we're included and we're let in on what's happening. And I just want to be clear, it's not a sin to celebrate what Jesus has done in your life, to look back and go, this is amazing. It's not a sin to look at the things you do and love your job and love what you get to do. It's not a sin to um, talk about the talents and the gifts that God has given you. But when those things start to creep into the core of your identity, that's a problem. And true faith wants to rid that out. That's what James is saying in James 1 verse one, that's what he's showing to us in the way he identifies himself. So that, all of that is what he could have said about himself. But now let's turn to finish and look at what James actually did choose to say about himself. Again, look at the verse again. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word servant is the Greek word doulos, which means slave. It literally translates to slave. And it doesn't carry the negative 
um, example of slavery uh, today that's attached to slavery today. This type of slavery or doulos or servant is, uh, is a picture of belonging to someone, like wholeheartedly devoted to your master. And James the Just, old camel knees, the brother of Jesus, lead pastor of the Jerusalem megachurch, says, everything you need to know about me is that my life is about Jesus. Everything you need to know about me is that my life is about Jesus. Did you know that the most prominent title referring to leaders in the Bible is servant? You want to know the way the Bible talks about leaders? Servant. In fact, servant, doulos, is used 127 times in the New Testament. And servant, it's a different word because in the Hebrew, but it's used over 600 times in the Old Testament. So the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all referred to as servants of God. God. God called Job his servant. Moses is repeatedly referred to as a servant of the Lord. Samson, Caleb, and Joshua, the dude who led God's people into the promised land, yeah, they're all referred to as servants of the Lord. The great kings, David and Solomon, guess what they're referred to as? Servants of the Lord. The prophets, Elijah and and Isaiah, are both referred to as servants of the Lord. Then in the New Testament, Jesus' mom, Paul, Peter, Jude, and John all refer to themselves as servants of the Lord. And the great prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 53, the Old Testament, guess what Isaiah calls Jesus? God's suffering servant, right? And how does Jesus describe himself? Matthew 20, verse 28, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The most prominent title in the Bible is for a leader is servant. And so I want you to know, City Light, the most important thing about you isn't who you know or what you've done or what you do or what you can do. It's what Jesus has done for you. That's what the gospel frees us into. And in response, your joyful willingness to do whatever he calls you to do. And so I just want to ask this question. I've been thinking a ton about this this week. Why would an extraordinarily impressive guy like James choose to just say he's a servant of God and not mention all the other stuff? Here's why. Catch this. Because he realized how much more extraordinarily impressive Jesus was than him. So I'm, I'm crazy intrigued by, by Elon Musk. I, I don't know why I just am shocked by him. Like he just is so interesting to me between Tesla and SpaceX. And he's the richest man in the world. He keeps innovating and charging. I'm like, what's, I don't, you know, he's trying to fill a hole that only God can. I don't know what it is, but he just, he's so intriguing to me. So imagine just a handful of us, maybe let's say four or five of us go out with Elon Musk and we're eating down at Blue Sushi. And, you know, and we're getting our stuff. We got the edamame, obviously, but charred because that's great. I got the, the crunch roll and you get the tsunami and it's a whole thing, right? It's great. And so crab rangoon, the whole thing. And so we're eating. It's a great meal. We're having a blast. You, me, a couple friends. And Elon Musk, is, he's explaining uh, the rocket, the reusable rocket that he had kind of invented that would, could go up to space and could come down and land and be reused to launch. And he's explaining this. And, you know, we spent billions of dollars on this and we almost went bankrupt and, and this happened, but we finally got it. And I kind of butt in the conversation and go, um, yeah, that's super cool. I uh, just changed out the headlight on my e-bike. You'd be like, okay. Nobody would even acknowledge me. I think that maybe I might get like a subtle, like, good job, bro. You know, like a really pity, like, good job. But everyone would be like, so Elon, keep going. What, What was that again? You know, and this is the picture. It's like Jesus is so much better and bigger than us. Like we just, we're not impressive. I'm not trying to speak down to any of us. I'm saying that about myself. Like he's just so much better. 
And if I want to spend a dinner talking about anybody, it's Jesus. Not you, not me, not whatever. I just want to talk about him because he's way better. And I want you to know, to look at the things we looked at, number one, Jesus knows so many more people than we do. He gave Einstein his brilliance. He gave Serena Williams her athletic ability. He gave Shakespeare his creativity. He gave Aretha Franklin her beautiful singing voice. Jesus knows so many more people than we do. Jesus has done so much more than we've done. He left heaven and the praises of angels and the comforts of all of that to come down to a sinful, broken, messed up world, then to live a perfect life, die a sinner's cross so that me and you could be reconciled to God forever by faith alone because Jesus had paid for our innumerable sins. He's done so much more than we've done. Oh, by the way, Jesus does so much more than we do. Right now, in heaven, if you're a believer, he's currently interceding for us in heaven. At the right hand of the Father, he's advocating for us, holding us when we try to slip away, sustaining us when our faith falters. He does so much more than us. And lastly, he can do so much more than we can do. Jesus is coming back victoriously to make all things right, to resurrect us finally and completely, to restore creation to what it was back before for the fall, to put the devil away and rid creation of evil, he does, he's going to do so much more than we do. And so listen, knowing who Jesus knows and what he's done and what he's doing and what he can do, I'm not going to waste my breath trying to act like I'm awesome. I'm not. He is. I want to just be like James and go, I'm with that dude. <laughs> All you need to know is like, I'm his servant. I, I, I'm about him. I'm his MC. And, and with that, with that, the only noteworthy thing about me is that I'm loved and chosen by Jesus and my life is devoted to him. That's what you need to know about me. And so friends, City Light, you, you get a chance with every person you meet, with every interaction you have, you get a chance to reintroduce yourself. You get a chance to remind people what you're defined by. So rather than who you know or what you've done or what you currently do or what you can do, by faith, you get to choose humility I'm just a servant of God. And, and everything you need to do about me is that my life is about Jesus. That's the first fruit of faith that James is saying the Holy Spirit brings in our life through his example of how he introduces himself in the first verse. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Austin Edwards from City Light Lincoln. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.